Coming up this week, off-screen. Jared Butler cleans up the streets as London has fallen. The Coen brothers hail Caesar. Richard Gere has time out of mind. Austrian horror bids goodnight to mommy. Alfred Hitchcock meets Francois Truffaut. And Robert Redford and Kate Blanchett reveal some truth. All those to come and more, off-screen. This is... This is off-screen. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Conner. I am Case Allen. With a question mark? A is question it Case mark. question mark, Allen question mark? Is it just one day we'll, we'll pick a side? One day. Yeah. One day. So we've got an interesting uh, roundup this week. As I say, it's mm. not been an especially bad week for films. It's been, we've had some been, quite good stuff. It's been quite varied. We've got say. some interesting yeah. stuff. So let's, let's start then with the, one of the high watermarks, mm. which is the Coen Brothers are back. Yes. So Hail Amazing. Caesar, which takes place in 1951 Hollywood. Good old fashioned La La Land, mm. back when it had all that gloss and polish on it, before the gritty reboots, and back when you had <laughs> Dancing mermaids could fuel an entire picture and Scarlett Johansson literally gets to do that at one point synchronised swimmers and sold, sold. all that yeah. so what you have is you have a series of uh, basically like an anthology movie it's like 23 short films about Springfield is how I summed I it up I watched that episode last week I'm weirdly. sure you did yeah. <laughs> and so what you have is you have at the centre you have Eddie Mannix who's the studio head slash fixer mm. played by Josh Brolin and a series of madcap subplots all going off around him including an actor played by George Clooney who's kidnapped by communists and attempted to be brainwashed. You have a starlet played by Scarlett Johansson who is unwed... Starlet Johansson. Starlet Johansson, who is unwed, pregnant and looking for someone new. And then you have a young singing cowboy actor who is plucked from his very obscure genre and placed into the world of high-concept prestige drama under the tutelage of the evil director Rafe Fiennes. We have a clip of that storyline, in fact, and and brace yourself, because this one's a, this one's got a bit of a quotable doozy to it. Say your line exactly as I'm about to, just as I'm about to do. Sure, okay. Would that it were so simple? 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 My dear boy, why do you say that? Why do you say it were? Well, you should say it like I said. Yes. Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it would that it were so simple? Watch my mouth. Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Keep your head still. Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? I'm trying to say that, Mr. Lawrence. Lawrence? Hmm? I thought. A minute ago, it was Lorraine. No, we can use Christian names, my good dear boy. Lawrence is fine, just as I call you, Herbie. Okay. So, would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Would that it were so simple? Trippingly. Would that it were so simple? Trippingly. <laughs> How has it taken this long for Ray Fines to work with the Coen I don't know. And it's brilliant. It's so much fun. And that's the thing. This is, It's not a flawless crowd pleaser. And this, I don't think, is going to gain the same cult fandom as The Big Lebowski, for example. That, it's that kind of like me, a Barton Fink. I, I, no, yeah. I think it has more in the way of mainstream oh, likability really? than Barton Fink. What I you've got Barton is Fink. everybody clearly loves working with the Coen brothers here. That's what it is. It, yeah. It's obviously this adventurous, fun, whimsical, mm. let's go old school. Hollywood kind of a time, and you've got old school star power in the frame there through the likes of George Clooney. But what I really like is I can't remember his name, Arlen Urgenberger. Oh, he was in that. He was in beautiful, beautiful creatures. Beautiful creatures yeah, yeah. yeah, 
and he's fantastic. It's got this wealth of cameos which ranges from Jonah Hill to Christopher Lambert in there. Christopher Lambert is cameoing in a Coen Brothers movie. This is actually a world in which we live. Actual Highlander. Actual Highlander. And who's now about seventy three years old? Um, but isn't isn't Dolph Lundgren in there as well? I, I didn't see Dolph Lundgren, but I'm, I've heard I, that Dolph is in there. I, I, I believe he could be. So, but the real the real sort of selling point of the film for me is you get to see the Coen Brothers because they use the the mechanism of old school Hollywood. You get to see them tackle every genre imaginable. Literally, no genre stone is left unturned. So you get the synchronized swimming mermaid movie. You get the old school Ben Hur uh, Ten Commandments mm. style movie in there as well. You get the singing cowboy. You get all of these genre movies that they just send up brilliantly in these sort of film within a film. Even the title of this film is the reference to the film within a film, which is Hail Caesar, the story of the Christ, mm. which is quite clearly meant to be uh, Ben-Hur yeah. uh, with George Clooney. <laughs> he's so brilliantly off-kilter in it that you have to love him. I, I wasn't bored for a second with it. I, I, I laughed a lot. It had a great cast to it. It had a lot of heart in the writing, a lot of sort of slickness in the direction. You get to see not one but two Tilda Swintons. Um, um, oh, well, that's always a good time. Tilda Swinton is identical twins. Imagine how terrifying a concept that is. <laughs> and, and then and then you have, at the centre of it all, Josh Brolin, who's doing that thing that Josh Brolin does so well, because I'm grizzled, I'm, I'm Josh Brolin now. And, and yes, yes, that's what I want from my Coen Brothers movies. Yeah. And I miss things like this. I miss comedic Coen Brothers. And you don't realise it, you know, because you sit... They knock out a film a year now, but they do tend to be things like... Is it No Country for Old Men? And yeah. uh, I, I always get confused with Devil's Blood. Um, no Country well, for Old Men. They came out at the same, <laughs> yeah, same time. time yeah. They? Yeah. they tend to make things like that. And Inside Lewin Davis. Well, I would argue Inside Lewin Davis is more of a comedy than anything you else. You think it serves more of a comedy? Yeah. You are a more forgiving person than I, sir. <laughs> <laughs> we will be having words about your I think, view on I, it, It's very much your kind of hipster sensibility. Oh, I agree. Time. But uh, <laughs> no, do see it if you get the chance. If you are a fan of The Big Lebowski and you think you could push it a little further, go with this. Um, as I say, this, this is not. Don't. don't Ensue like London has fallen to go and see this. You're going to be disappointed, I think, if that's the case. I was going to see them both on the same day. Do you know what? You're in for a hell of a day. Yeah, you, you really are. It's going to be a varied day. Yes, it is. Chuck, good night, mommy, what, in there what as a, well. What a Friday. <laughs> so, um, should, should we have some really sad news? Uh, yes. So yeah. this week saw uh, the, the the sad demise of Tony Burton. Mm. Who we know as uh, as well Duke Evers from the Rocky series he passed away at age seventy eight. Yeah. He was a comedian, a football player, a boxer. He was the he was the perfect package. He was, yeah. And yet, for some football reason, friend. we know him best as No Pain, No Pain. <laughs> but of course, in honouring him, we can't play that clip. So we're going to play something a bit more monologue-y And here is Tony Burton as Duke Evers in Rocky Four. Apollo was like my son. I raised him, and when he died. Part of me died. But now, you're the one. You're the one that's going to keep his spirit alive. You're the one that's going to make sure that he didn't die for nothing. Now, you're going to have to go through hell. Worse than any nightmare that you ever dreamed. But in the end, I know you'll be the one standing. That's right. You know what you gotta do. Do it. Do it. It's farewell, Tony oh, Burton. Yeah. We hardly knew ye, yeah. and you can join Mickey in a better place. We're losing all the good ones. Lately. We really, really are. So, uh, George, George Kennedy died as well. He did. Yes. Yeah. Should we move on to something a bit more upbeat, though? Yes. Let's because do that. I don't know if you heard this. This this wasn't really that widely reported, but um, <clears throat> Leo 
won an Oscar. Well, this calls for a celebration. I will. We did it, baby! Oh, we got Leo finally, Oscar! Finally. Leo got an Oscar! Leo got an Oscar! Yeah, oh, what a world in which we live, eh? This might be the year where the world finally ends. Donald Trump might become president. Leo's won an Oscar. I think I've just seen a pig fly outside the window. That, that's entirely possible. And, uh, well, hey, at least David Bowie's not around to have to see it. That's, that's it. That, that's what it is. David Bowie got to skip this one. Starman evolved. <laughs> so let's have a real quick look then at Hitchcock Truffaut, which is based, which is actually the story of the book of the same name. You know, the famous book that every film student owns. Hmm. Um, I strangely don't. I thought I did. I don't. Um, in which uh, Francois Truffaut sat down, had a series of conversations over the course of a week with Alfred Hitchcock, and then frame by frame dissected all of his works. Here is a clip of Martin Scorsese, no less, discussing the iconic tome. At that time, the, the general consensus and climate was a bullying, as usual, by the establishment as to what serious cinema is. So it was really revolutionary. Based on what the Truffaut-Hitchcock book was, we became radicalized as movie makers. It was almost as if somebody had taken a weight off our shoulders and said, yes, we can embrace this, we could go. So you know those uh, PBS documentaries uh, we see? I mean, we, we review them quite often because they do actually yeah, get pressure. Yeah. We get them like uh, Black Panther's Vanguard of the Revolution. Oh, yeah. That, that recently, that was one. I think that actually was a PBS one. Mm. This has the feel of a PBS drama. It feels like one of those kind of things. It does feel like a sort of supplementary DVD extra. It feels like something, it would be on a bonus disc in the definitive Hitchcock box set. Yeah. Very much so. And... I wasn't bored by it. I, I, I thought it was a really interesting uh, story to tell, and I was fascinated by the relationship between Hitchcock and Truffaut. Of course, Truffaut himself was a filmmaker even then, but I think his film career really took off after the book, whereas Hitchcock, I think, was, was winding down. I think he only did two or three more after the book. Mm, it um, was a Sean Connery one. No, I think the shock on war had already happened. But here's my fundamental issue with the film. It has stuff to enjoy. Like As you can hear from the clip, it's got some some big name contributors mm. in there. It's got Scorsese. It's got Bogdanovich. It's got... Oh, really? It's got Richard Linklater. It's got everybody in there. Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson is in there talking about Hitchcock. And yes, Wes Anderson dresses exactly like you expect him to. Just full tweed. No, no, no. He dresses like he's come out of a 1960s British holiday resort. Completely in, you know, blue stripe blazer and yeah, exactly. Okay, <laughs> yeah. like that. Um, he's got the Hitchcockian music in there, you know, the classic. Because you can hear that in the clip, and it it is it's, it's a must for a Hitchcock fan. However, I am I would say something of a Hitchcock. Fan. I'm not a huge fan. I'm something of a Hitchcock fan. I like I like a bit of Hitchcock, but. I take issue with one thing, and this film commits the cardinal sin that all of these kind of Hitchcocking documentaries do, which is, if I'm here to watch a documentary about Hitchcock, I don't need a half an hour making of Psycho. I don't, because that presumably is one of the first things I will have watched. In, in, in that's, my that's back just a separate documentary. They need to start taking it as writ that Hitchcock fans know Psycho in and out. We do. We, we we can dissect. We've all done it. Dissected Psycho, frame for frame. We know it back to front, head to toe, like the back of our hands. Nobody needs a lesson in Psycho anymore. Not in 2016. It is the archetypical Hitchcock film. And yet, the film constantly shows you snippets of far more intriguing... There are films like Rope and Vertigo We think... Can't we have a look at one of these for a change? Rear Window! Rear Window is one of the greatest movies ever film. made! Mm. 
And yet, you're given, I think, about a 20-second snippet in, in this. And you're like, oh, man, really? But having said that, there is um, a great use of actual filming and, re- and recordings of the actual conversations themselves, which I didn't realise actually was a thing. Obviously, they had to have been recorded because otherwise the book wouldn't have been. Yeah. <laughs> but um, they were basically filmed and recorded and photographed as if they were a film production in and of themselves. And that makes for intriguing viewing. What really kills it dead, though, is... We're, we're two-thirds of the way f- through the film. Let's just roll the psycho making off. Because no one's seen that. And no one will know. It's just bunging in there. And yeah, you, you come out of it. It kind of stops it dead. It, it really does for me. And it's a shame, because until that point, I was really engrossed in it. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. The on-screen radio show. And we're back to that Top Gunian theme. So we're going to have to... Uh, which, it's Top Gunian, but it's Jurassic Park. We kind of it's kind, it. of, it's a brilliant it's kind of a blend. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> well, we've got to look at the top ten. Well, the first half of the top ten for the week. But I know you, yes. you noticed a bit of a trend. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you just have a quick uh, quick look down at your paper, yeah. no Star Wars. No Star Wars? No, for the first time in, I think, 52 weeks. Yeah, well, that's a shame. Yeah. Let's crack on anyway. Number ten. Triple nine. Triple nine. You know, it's going to be gone next week. It's been around for two weeks, and frankly, I'm amazed it lasted this long. Yeah, I think that's a pretty long. good run for it. Um, I will say this, though. It has provided an, uh, you know, an ongoing source of amusement to me because it has provided Anthony Mackie with a bevy of talk show appearances, and he is a very entertaining man. Yes, I met Anthony Mackie once years ago. I remember and, you telling me. And, and you remember me telling you yeah. he is basically what you wish Will Smith still was. <laughs> Which is young, cool, and fun. And that's Anthony <laughs> Mackie. Now, he's 90s Will Smith. That is who Anthony Mackie is. Triple um, Nine, however, is not anywhere near as fun as it should be. Not anywhere near as lively as it should be. And aside from one brief raid sequence, it's really not that interesting. Number nine. Zoolander 2. Toolander. Toolander. Zoolander 2. Mm, not funny. Not, no, not, not funny. Not clever. Not no. big. Not slick. Not intelligent. Not really anywhere near as satirical as the first one allegedly is. It should have happened five years after the first. One. Well, I feel like that, that but I felt like that about Anchorman as well. And although Zoolander Two is yeah. nowhere near nowhere near as bad as Anchorman Two or, or, or Dumb Dumber Two, yeah. uh, alas, it is still something of a waste. The best thing about the film is a startlingly moving performance from Kiefer Sutherland, uh, which kind of has to be seen to be believed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's kind of a filler. It's a waste of time. It's a straight to Netflix sequel, and. No. Number eight. Dad's Army. Dad's Army. It's hanging in there because presumably is, the grandparents yeah. are filing down Four one weeks. at a time. To oh. that's it. It's going to be the grandparents that are seeing this film, and they're all going to come out disappointed because they're just going to be wishing the entire time that the original cast did it. Yeah. And it's a shame because the, the the great cast that they've got is wasted in a film which frankly lacks any real bite and feels too silly in its attempt to be family friendly. And I'm okay. I'm I'm great for family friendly comedy and all, but when they make it as daft as Dad's Army is, as daft and as unchallenging as Dad's Army is, then that for me is a waste of potential, and more importantly, a waste of time. And I really don't want to be able to say that about a film starring Bill Nye in one of the central roles. Number seven. The Revenant. The Revenant. Did I mention that uh, Leo won an Oscar? I will. No, I didn't think you did mention that. Yeah, Leo won an Oscar. I don't know no if you're way. aware of that. Yeah, no. yeah, totally. It he, wasn't all over Facebook or no, BBC no, he, News. No, he or... totally won an Oscar. No way. <laughs> yeah, so what else did Revenant win? And he deservedly swept um, those awards. Uh, Chivo won the best cinematography. Yes, yes, he uh, did. And how, uh, yeah. 
Alejandro G. Enaritu. Best director. For the second time in a row. It, he's the first one ever, isn't he? Uh, he's no, the... he's only the third. Oh, only the third. Oh, uh, okay. First in like 60 years. And you know what? Deservedly so. The Revenant is fantastic. Everyone should see it at least once. I don't think anybody will ever see it a second time, but... Everyone deserves to see it once. Number six. The Forest. New entry. The Forest, which I really wanted to like. And it's mm. just, it's a little bit incoherent and naff. And make it up as you go along, is prevalent. And Natalie Dormer deserves so much better. And Taylor Kinney's there because Jared Butler was off blowing up London at the time. And, sorry, Bulgaria, because it's, it's actually filmed in Bulgaria, London's Fallen. <laughs> Interesting thing there for you. We'll right. get to that. Um, <laughs> but that film just comes, sounds better and better to you doesn't it? It does. I can't wait. Um, we're going to review it in a minute, don't worry. And ultimately, The Forest just feels like that film you pick up in the ex-rental section of Blockbuster when that was around for mm. like three or four quid on DVD when, you, when you're walking back to the car with the Domino's pizza. You know, you know that yeah, one? Yeah, I'll just pick some up. Yeah. yeah. When you've, I've got the pizza. I'm on my way back to the car anyway. Oh, Blockbuster's there. Ex-rental. Oh, okay. I'll get, I'll get The Forest. Yeah, and because it's because you, you, it's a film, you know, you're never going to watch a second time. You're not bothered about the fact that it's an ex-rental. But yeah, that's that's, that's mm. exactly what the forest is, and it's made by an app developer. It is a, the first first film made by an app developer, and that's why it's so scattershot and incoherent and cobbled together. And it needed beta testing. That's exactly what this. That's what the film needed. It needed, it needed beta testing. Beta test. And he's an app developer. He should have known that. So, right. <laughs> so one brief uh, podcast. We should do that. Yeah, let's, let's because plug it. We, we, well, we've not got much this week, but ordinarily there's too much to fit into any given show on the radio edition, so we have to stick a load of things after the credits in a podcast extra section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So go and download the free podcast edition for more off-screen. And, yeah, further off-screen? Off-the-screen? I don't know. <laughs> further off-screen. <laughs> further off-screen. <laughs> now, it's the moment you've been waiting for, Mr. Allen. It is time to discuss London Has Fallen. It is two years after the events of Olympus Has Fallen. The company, the country, the US, I mean, sorry, not this country. The country has rebuilt. It has moved on. It's mourned. It's rebuilt the White House in apparently about a fortnight to the exact same specifications as that it was in the last movie. But then, suddenly, uh, the British Prime Minister drops dead. And the the president from the first movie, uh, Ben Asher, who's played by Aaron Eckhart, who is now in his second term, but doesn't have the kid anymore because he's off doing something or other, because in two years he's now college age or something. Um, and he texts his dad jokes. Every- That's literally the fate of that okay. character. Yeah. Um, so the American president has to go to London for the funeral of the British Prime Minister and takes along for the ride his trusty Secret Service protector and recreational headstabber, Agent Mike Banning, played by Gerard Butler. And I say headstabber because that seems to be his true passion in life. Being a Secret Service agent is just how he funds his true passion yeah. of stabbing people in the head, stabbing terrorists and it's bad just, guys just in Just like head. a general kind of day job, isn't it? But luckily, Mike's in luck, you see, because it turns out that the British Prime Minister was actually murdered. Can you believe Murdered! I cannot believe it. I, 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 I won't believe and it. He was murdered by these these nasty Pakistani warlord terrorist types who have actually orchestrated this whole thing in order to get all wait, of the world's ethnic characters. I, 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 wait, just you, you wait. Your mind is going to be blown. So then, then wait for it. So they off all of the world's leaders when they come to London for yeah. the funeral. Yeah, and and so there's only the American president left standing, and he and he and he and Agent Stabbyhead uh, have to go on the run across London in order to get the president to safety. However, the terrorists have one demand. Which is? We want the president, and we want to execute him on YouTube. Here's a clip. When did Trump believe that message? 
32 minutes. No way they got here that fast. Is it zoom in? Yeah. They're not sweating. What? That gear weighs 40 pounds. They just stalked all the way from outside the wire and not a drop of sweat. It's gotta be them. And they're going around the back. This doesn't look like a rescue formation. Please don't tell me that's not our Delta team. They've intercepted Trummel's message. Jax, where's the armory? Where's your armory? Bring it, Gerard. Right. <laughs> Come <laughs> okay. on, Leonidas. Let's, let's call this film what it is. Right, this is loud, lumbering, idiotic to the point of being borderline brain dead, and yet absolutely unadulterated fun. And I'm happy with that. I am absolutely <laughs> fine with it. It is fun. And not only is it fun, it is funny. Whether it means to be or not, I suspect more than more often than not it means to be, um, it, it is laugh out loud, genuinely gag-fueled, belly-laughing funny. And that's astonishing. Say, it is stupid to the point of belly laughs. There is this amping up of humour and self-awareness to this sequel, which ensures that it's not only a good time, it's also a vast improvement on the first one, which was, you know, sort of poor man's diehard, effectively. Um, As I say, the the central gag which closed that last film off him stabbing the bad guy in the head has now just reached the point of just a lather, rinse, repeat in-joke where Gerard Butler just simply... (laughs) There is a point in which he just randomly assaults a policeman on the street. (laughs) Gerard Butler Butler just randomly assaults a policeman on the street. And only later does he then justify why, (laughs) which is, oh, he was obviously a bad guy because he had this gun. You're like, he might have just been an enthusiast. My God. Gerard, really? This film is, I say, I'm going to call it what it is, right? It is drenched in unironic machismo. It is fueled by sarcastic xenophobia, the likes of which you haven't seen in years. And there is a line about from where the terrorists originate that will haunt you until your dying day. You've and told me we can't I, say it. We can't say it. it. You'll feel bad for laughing at it. You really will. But, but I will laugh. Um, <laughs> it really is. And, then, and it's dead set. It's dead set on the most noble ambition of all which is taking a randomly assigned capital city, in this case London, and then ensuring that not a single landmark is left standing by the end of it. Well, the the first poster was Big Ben in ruins, wasn't it? <laughs> do you want to know something interesting about that poster? I do. Right, that poster was released by Lionsgate the same day that David Cameron was re-elected. Oh, yeah, I remember that. An hour later, in fact. We, so we had a conversation. We had a conversation yeah. because he was re-elected. Oh, and then man. literally Lionsgate put out a poster that said, London has fallen with the capital in, in flames. So, <laughs> right. there's not a single British breeze block left standing by the end of this film. Um, the central figure to the fun for me seems to be uh, Babak Najafi, the director. He's an Iranian-born Swedish filmmaker who is mostly known for having directed episodes of Banshee, um, as well as Snabakash 2. If you remember that one? Remember Snabakash? I, I reviewed it a couple yeah. of years. It's called Easy Money in this country, but Snabakash is just so fun to say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that title. I, I really wish they would just put the post as Joel Kinnaman in Snabakash. Also, for the longest time, I was working from a sheet that had a typo, so I kept calling it Shabakash. And that sounded a little bit Peter Kay for my liking, mm. so Shabakash. Anyway, so you've got uh, Babak Njaffe, Swedish uh, <clears throat> Swedish filmmaker, who brings in this, this just full-blown bullet-chewing glee 
He's the best way I can describe. He doesn't have the slickness of Antoine Fuqua last time around, and I will never say his name any other way. Antoine Fuqua. Fuqua. Fuqua, Fuqua films. Exactly. He doesn't have the slick sensibilities of Antoine Fuqua. However, he does have just this brilliantly anarchic, free-flowing, PlayStation-powered, hedonistic streak that you have to admire. There are a number... And I say to you, uh, post-Spectre, this is Mm. even more impressive. There are a number of these single-shot action sequences that you genuinely want to see the making of the film, just to see how they've done it. There is a sequence with, without taking a break, there's a whole shootout, camera stays on Gerard Butler, uh, you know, and rotates around him Mm. as he goes, and, you know... Takes out 30, 40 guys, it seems, and and then runs up a bit of scaffolding and just dives like 15 feet across into this building. And the camera goes with him. And I want to meet the ludicrously insane cameraman that did that that close to Gerard Butler <laughs> because he somehow doesn't land on him either, which I find even more impressive. But we, we've got to talk about Butler, of course, and John yeah. Butler. And, um, well, he's having the time of his life, and why wouldn't he? This is completely his kind of film, isn't it? Of course it's, it's it is. I mean, he still can't crack an American accent, but at the same time, he's not what, what, entirely... What was it you said? Scott American? Uh, Scott American. He's Scott American. Yeah. Uh, he still can't crack it up, but he is having fun with this John McLeanian sort of archetype that he's saddled with. And to be fair, you would. Um, you've got Aaron Eckhart, who doesn't get more to do this time around than he did last. Uh, Morgan Freeman literally has the exact same role he has last time. I'm going to sit at the head of this table and look at that flat screen TV. I'm and getting paid loads of money for being Exactly. Room. It's worth noting as well, Morgan Freeman is given an introduction of more gravitas than the US president. What does that tell you about this world? Anyway, um, of course, you know, it's not all roses. Um, the two villains of the piece, our requisite Pakistani warlords of the week, are somewhat shortchanged by basically no character development and their entire backstory being summed up as you drone killed my insert relative here <laughs> you know i mean literally they stopped just short of saying you american pig dogs but uh, yeah i mean it's mind-numbingly stupid at times it is however laugh out loud funny the action is engaging and you know what it's a, a 90s style actual i actually think this is the film everyone kept telling me white house down was and that film was terrible I know, I, I didn't, much I didn't get it. I, I think I did. No, I, I, I preferred White House Down. Really? My thing with White House Down is it's the first time I ever took my mum to an IMAX screen. And uh, I think I might have blown her retinas off with it. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, it was Channing Tatum in an action movie. Of course she was going. <laughs> so like I say, loud, lumbering, idiotic, stupid, brain dead, just... A good time. A great time. Just absolutely great. Get your boys together. Get your girls together. Just get your friends together. Get your together. Get, your, get all your friends of both genders. Just, just In fact, just, let's just everyone all together. Let's just go out, get drunk, <laughs> go and see. Buy every single seat in the IMAX. Yeah, let, let's, let's go. I'll tell you, get I'll 500 me, tickets. I'll meet everyone down the multiplex at seven. Come on, we're all going. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. And we're back. Shall we, shall we check in with Richard Gere for the week? Oh yeah, this is our weekly. This is our weekly thing now. We've yeah. gotten to do this for two whole weeks, so let's mm. check in with Richard Gear and see what he's doing this week. So uh, last week, uh, Richard Gear. This the week, Portrait Gear. Yeah, <laughs> he went from billionaire to homeless yeah. guy. <laughs> so basically, what you have here is a, a drama. Time out of mind. A drama in which Richard Gear is a, a homeless man squatting in a sort of derelict apartment. He is roused from his Monday morning slumber one week by the arrival of construction workers, led by Steve Buscemi, no less. By the way, in a little really? weird little cameo. Huh. Um, 
and he is thrust out onto the streets where he is forced to, you know, sort of play the system and just wander through life and try and resolve all of his dangling threads and basically rebuild his sense of self. He's scattershot in the mind and as well as of the familial. And, well, we have a clip. Okay, look, you'll stay here tonight in a bed. Okay, good. We'll evaluate you. If you qualify, you'll be assigned a permanent shelter. A what? A place where you could stay. Permanent? It's up to you. We have all kinds. It's been a long time since I had a job. It's been many years. I'm, I'm too old to be hired. No one's gonna hire me like, not like I am. I'm just, I'm, I'm really no good right now. Well, look at me, man. 9-11 blew my brains out. I had to crawl out of a ditch, if you know what I mean. I don't know what you mean. I was on your side of the glass once. Let's say, it's, it's an interesting film. And it's interesting to me as well, because this comes on the back of Hector for me, which was a British-made film. It was the first time, was it Jake Gavin, I think, made that? Uh, I believe so. And Peter Mullen. That was the Peter yeah. Mullen one. And that was, for me, one of the undiscovered gems, unappreciated gems mm. of, of 2015. This comes on the back, and I think treads a sort of similar ground in terms of let's take a sort of respected star and, and explore homelessness within a different culture. In this case, what you've got is New York, you know, central New York. And, well, first and foremost, the idea of... Richard Gere as this not quite altogether there broken homeless man is undermined more than a little bit by the fact that Richard Gere is Richard Gere which means frankly he's too gosh darn likeable at times to really successfully sell the idea of because you know the idea of any of any uh, depiction of homelessness in movies is it's always oh get away from me bam you know that kind of yeah. idea and the film tries to bring up this idea it has Emily Watson remember her oh, remember Emily I Watson did, yeah. yeah Emily Watson turns up briefly as a as a nurse in a hospital who has a sort of uh, a sympathetic moment with him but you get like people's responses too which is oh no I don't want you anywhere near me but you're thinking yeah but he's behaving like Richard Gere which is so damn charming. <laughs> Who doesn't like Who doesn't love, love Richard Gere? So it's not all roses I say that um Jenna Malone turns up at one point to do her one note performance that she does this time with the added uh, bonus of we can justify it because he abandoned her but still doesn't quite quantify why she only has one facial expression and one vocal inflection. She'll be doing that in the next Batman film as well. And apparently she will. Yeah, when she's uh, Girl Robin or Barbara or Gordon Barbara Gordon, or Catwoman or Catwoman's girlfriend or Wonder Woman's mum or Brainiac or... Dark, or... Dark <laughs> yeah, any one of those things. Yeah. And so it is well shot and it is... Interesting enough, the problem is there's no sort of straight coherent through line to it. It does feel a little bit scattershot, a little bit unfocused, a little bit kind of just see where it takes us. There's no real thrust to it all because it is just... Put it this way, I, I couldn't tell you how long the film actually... Over what kind of length of time the, the film takes place. Mm -hmm. I couldn't. I think we, we see Richard Gere sleep four or five times, for instance. But other than that, I, I couldn't tell you. It feels like it's just this void of time in which a disheveled uh, Richard Gere, well, portrait Gere in this case, just wanders the streets of Manhattan. And... 
it goes on a bit long as well. I mean, it is just shy of two hours, and you do feel it because it lacks that focus, because it has that disembodied... I will say that, though. It is really well shot. I forget who the director of this one is. Did you look that up? Uh, no, but I can look it up right now. Is, is this Andrew Renzi? I can't remember. Quite possible. But anyway, um, but no, so it has this this brilliantly disembodied style to the look and feel of the film. However, because the film lacks much in the way of of, of plot and poise, but do tell. I did know this the other uh, day. Oran Moverman. That's it, Oran Moverman. Like He's actually the writer Moverman. and director. Yes, and, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. Um, he, say, he, what he, does, he uses a lot of um, obstructive surfaces. So a lot of let's shoot through windows, a lot of let's shoot through curtains, a lot of, lot of that sort of cinematography to it. Why do you look so baffled? Because, um, presumably... Uh, Steve Buscemi's son is in it. Is he? There is a guy, there is a grown man who looks an awful lot like Steve Buscemi. Yeah. That guy, yes, that guy. Who He's, he's got Steve Buscemi's eyes. He, he really has. There, there is another... <laughs> That's why I look... I was there, taken aback. There is aback. a grown adult in the world who looks like Steve Buscemi. Amazing. Wow. Okay, so... <laughs> who isn't Steve Buscemi? Or young Angelina Jolie, it turns out. But... Um, I say, I didn't dislike the film. I liked it very much. And I did think it was better than The Benefactor was last week. Yeah. I liked it more than The Benefactor, I will say that. But, in this case, we will say that Portrait Gear has outdone Richard Gear. Um, but I'm sure Richard Gear will be in another film in a week's time, and we can... We don't know what his, like, uh, his economic status will be. Well, it's don't true. Know. I mean, Kung Fu Panda 3's out next week. Is he in that? I mean, Oh, maybe. <laughs> we don't know anymore. <laughs> so, um, should we do a bit of film have film news one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, Lonely Island. We haven't talked about Lonely Island. It's got a title. It's got a title. title. So, so, if people aren't familiar with Lonely Island, they are a band that originated on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And, and Andy Samberg, who's now on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, starred in That's My Boy, I Love You Man, films like that. Yeah. He's a member of this sort of jokey, comedic rock band. Yeah. And they, they are so funny. And... And yeah, I'm a big fan of. We've done one. some amazing. I think amazing the only songs. the only title we can say out loud on radio, I think, is actually "I'm on a boat." But there's the Michael Bolton one as well. Uh, I forget what's. It's a Michael Bolton one. You've not. Uh, I've, I've not heard that. I will show you about later. But they're doing a movie with Judd Apatow, and it has the greatest title ever. Do you want? Do you want to reveal the title? Do you know the title? Uh, yeah, it is uh, "Pop Star Never Stop." Never stopping. That's it. Brilliant. Yeah. Love it. Never stop, never stop. On which note, we move on, of course, to Goodnight Mommy. Now, this one is, uh, this one's a doozy. So, okay, so this is an Austrian film, right? This is an Austrian film about a single mom who returns from having facial cosmetic surgery. She is hidden behind a veritable display of bandages, mm-hmm. and upon her return to her uh, rather luxurious, very isolated, and very high end home, her two ten-year-old twin sons start to notice something odd about her behaviour. First of all, she refuses to speak to one of them. Secondly, she she will only accept absolute silence in the house at all times. And then thirdly, the one to whom she does speak, she starts to get physically violent towards. So, pushed to their wit's end, the two twins, who are named Elias and Lucas, which is also the name of the actors playing them. So the ten-year-old actors who are playing them are Elias and Lucas Schwartz. The characters are Elias and uh, Lucas as well. Elias and Lucas are left with only one conclusion. This isn't mummy at all. So who is she? But uh, yeah, so yeah, you can imagine where this goes. <laughs> so very quickly, what you wind up with is this intriguing sort of conceptual fusion of room, funny games, and hostel. 
Imagine I that two of those films exactly. Yeah. Now ima- put it this way: you can sit through this film, and it's really engrossing. But you can sit through this film, and you can envision the English language remake starring Jacob Tremblay in dual roles. Yeah, it's gonna happen, and that would be <laughs> amazing because this film, first and foremost, is terrifying. Not in a make you jump way, but in just mm. in a really unsettling, really chilling way. It's a real slow burner. It does start off. I mean, the first forty minutes are actually quite taxing. You sit thinking. Okay, I'm intrigued by what the dynamic is between these characters. I'm not entirely sure what's going on with the mum, but nothing else seems to be happening. We're just in this house. I hope mm. this is going somewhere. And then, whoop, it goes somewhere. It really does. And, I mean, this evolves very quickly from a character drama into an out-and-out, blood-curdling, terrifying <laughs> spectacle with quite worrying ease, I would say. But central to it are these brilliant performances from uh, Elias and Lucas Schwartz, but also um, Suzanne West, I believe her name is, the Austrian actress who plays the mother, who has played this in such a pitch-perfect way as to hold her cards brilliantly close to her, just she never lets on. However, her performance is such that you really can take it either, this could be mummy, or this could be an imposter. And frankly, either one works. However, the film does narratively have a slight flaw early on in tipping its hand with one of the inevitable twists which are going to come. And it's one of those things where if you've seen a certain high-profile film of the late 90s, boy, do you know it's coming. Because they pulled the exact same shtick. Um, what really sets it apart for me, though, is the basically the, the, the design of it, the, the look of it, and the feel of it, which all seems to come about through um, Severin Fiala and Veronica Franz, uh, co-directors on this, who have brought in this wonderfully crisp, clean sort of production design, which makes the film feel as just intentionally glossy and, you know, soulless as the evil that you imagine Mummy could be. And it makes it all just that... In, you know, in the same way that Funny Games was only as creepy as it was because of the white tennis linens. Yeah. You know, how that somehow had that effect. Mm. Because it was so crisp, so clean, and the antithesis of what we associate with scary. Yeah. This is the same effect, and it does it with an entire house, and it's a wonderful effect, but... It's just—it's a wonderful stage on which you have these two ten-year-old boys, and they are fantastic. I can't wait to see what they do next. I am genuinely intrigued. But hmm. well, on that note, then we cue the music with the latest film news and reviews. This is Off Screen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back at dancing every time. <laughs> Disco dance. <laughs> Disco stew knows his dues. <laughs> But uh, so let's uh, let's finish out the top ten for the week. Then we've we've got to get this down. We've got some we've got some fun ones and some doozies to come though in this in this week's top ten. Number five, goosebumps. This was a fun one. This was a fun one, and I'm really happy it's hanging in there. I mean, it's dropped down a spot. I mean, because it went up last week, didn't it? But it, I it liked did, yeah. it, and it does have that Jumanji, Casper, Nickelodeon's Cabin in the Woods sort of a feel. <laughs> I really hate that I did. That's come such a good line. <laughs> so good, I know. Um, but I uh, was a very big fan of Goosebumps. I really liked uh, Jack Black as R.L. Stein. It is that sort of perfectly fun, over-the-top, yeah. campy sort of a performance. Had a lot of fun with it. I like the leads. I like Dylan Minaire. I like everybody in it. I also like that Gillian Bell got sort of a perfect role as the sort of kooky aunt figure. Yeah. I liked that quite a bit. Number four. How to be single. How to be single. Well... 
take ow, take ow, take ow, a guy take a guy to see the movie How to Be Single and tell him that you genuinely believe life is like that. Job um, done. <laughs> that's job done. It? It's like how do how to lose a guy in ten days? Make him watch the movie. Um, <laughs> that's always been my opinion on that film as well. Um, you know what? It has some fun in there. It's just not quite as brave and ballsy as it as it wants to be. It wants to push the envelope. It wants to be the R-rated comedy that challenges convention, but it falls back too readily on that convention and it ultimately feels like it talks a big game but doesn't deliver despite the fact that actually you know what i somewhat tolerated rebel wilson in this briefly number three uh alvin and the chipmunks for road chip how was this number three still I don't know. Are kids' tickets cheaper than adults? Just stay home and watch some Pixar. Just do that. <laughs> Come on, kids, watch some Pixar. <laughs> Make your Uncle Case happy. <laughs> but no, Alvin the Chipmunks, it's just, it's a weak, it's a forkful. It's a fo- what do you expect from a forkful? Mad Max Fury Road. That's, what I expect <laughs> That's, the, exception. My That's the exception. Not everything's going to be as insightful as a Police Academy Citizens on Patrol. <laughs> but, you know. but no, I mean, this just buy the soundtrack and then watch any of the three other movies and you could basically replicate the fourth one exactly. Which doesn't matter because it's going to make all the money on Earth anyway because, hey, animated sequel. Number two. <laughs> Grimsby. I was not expecting that. <laughs> I deliberately didn't tell you that was in there. <laughs> it caught me off guard, but yeah. Grimsby. Uh, which, do you know what? I'm going to let the toilet noise sum it up for me, because, hey, you know what? If Sasha Baron Cohen can't be bothered to put any effort into making a film anymore, or writing a film, or coming up with a concept for a film, or jokes for a film, or acting well in a film, or, I don't know, eliciting something in the way of enthusiasm from anybody in his film, then, frankly, I can't be bothered to review the film either. I'm not giving it actual... I'm not, I'm not breaking it down. I'm not giving it proper analysis. I, I think no. We, I think we just did. No. No, 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 no. Go away, Sasha. Go away. Number one. Hey, yeah. I want to shoot, baby. Shoot. Deadpool. Deadpool. <laughs> Pool. Dead. <laughs> I need to see this a second time very badly. Yeah, I've only seen it one time. I've only seen it once. I need to see it again. I saw it in IMAX, luckily. Um, and I really, really loved it. And I really... Yeah. In a strange way as well, I, I kind of... I'm disappointed that there's going to be that R-rated director's... That there's going to be a, 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 an even more R-rated director's cut when it hits DVD, because... Really? I hope there wasn't. No, I feel there is a there is a director's cut coming that's okay. going to be filthier. And I kind of feel like, no, the film was perfect this as it, it was. Yeah. yeah. Was, yeah, it worked fine as it was. It was that Zombieland level, and that's what you needed. And I, I don't want them to do a Deadpool sequel. I want them to go and do this to other things, mm. because we've done it to the zombie genre. They've done it to the superhero genre. They, they've, they've got sci-fi next because they're doing life with uh, oh, is, is Ryan Reynolds, the, the one? Yeah. Ryan Reynolds, and Rebecca Ferguson. Oh, do, Rebecca Ferguson. On? Rebecca Ferguson's on that. Oh, as well, yeah. yes, please. Amazing. And go, go and do a western after that, or go and do a, a, you know a prestige drama or something but keep doing this to films please because it's so fun and it's brilliantly meta and inter- and introspective and glib and nasty and visceral and just enjoyable and i like that i really <laughs> and, do and that's nice that's nice that's nice but that that sequel is a coming that Where's sequel is a coming. coming oh we should plug by the way uh that our monthly quiz which uh, yes, yes. Uh, what time are we on is it? oh it goes up in an hour and a half so by the time this actually goes out on radio it will actually be Amazing. available I'm, I'm going to try it out see if I can get uh, 100% oh I actually did <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah so the go on onscreenfilm.com uh, go into our feature section and find the March film yeah, quiz we've got, we've got some questions about Batman and Superman do they have um, a movie coming out I haven't heard uh, I think so yeah had, had you heard that Leo won an Oscar yeah <laughs> 
I will. Yes, he did. <laughs> three. Or three times. No, no, three times is enough. Three times is enough. <laughs> so, uh, no, onscreenfilm.com yeah. and monthly quiz. Give it a go. It's Case's hard work in play there. So let's talk then about our final film of the week, Truth, mm. which is written by, directed by, and produced by James Vanderbilt. Do you know oh, James really? Vanderbilt? Yes, James oh. Vanderbilt, uh, who almost brought us Spider-Man 4, I believe, and then it got recycled into Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. I think. So let's not praise him too highly there. <laughs> uh, right. So this is... Um, I'm trying to think how to describe it without calling it Spotlight Light. Um, it is uh, Spotlight Squared? Spa- spot, Space, Light, Squared. Spot, spotlighter. Spotlighter. Oh, you're yeah, good. Um, this is what happens when most moves away and I need someone to do my puns for me. <laughs> yeah. So this is uh, the story of CBS's 60 Minutes and they're reporting in... Was it 2004? 2005? About George cool. Bush's military record. Was it, was it 2006? It's about that era. But it was oh. their reporting of George Bush's military record and the in, the insinuation that he used his connections to avoid active service. However, their details are not completely 100% up to scratch, and as is a matter of public record now, the story winds up casting 60 minutes in a bad light and results in harsh penalties for most of the staff and the resignation of Dan Rather, who's played here by Robert Redford in what might be the greatest bit of casting you've ever scene and of course Dan Rather is none other than he is the face of news in America he, he is he, they literally say it in the film Dan Rather is news and on that note we have a clip I remember when you used to say courage at the end of every broadcast you remember that I remember do you remember oh, you must be very old why'd you stop they made fun of him That's no why. no they did seriously oh yeah can you imagine it? go on give us a courage Dan no, come on. Come on, just Mary. one for me. <laughs> I don't think for so. Come on, for me. <laughs> come on, please. You really want it? I want it to, yeah. Courage. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it worked at they one time. Did. <laughs> hey, here's to a great story. Yeah, once they finally ran it. Yeah. F-E-A. F-E-A. Funnily enough, this was released in the US three weeks ahead of uh, Spotlight. Yet the minute Spotlight was sort of nearing release, it kind of dominated the proceedings almost instantly. uh, Because you you never heard about truth. It was all about Spotlight and nothing else. And it's kind of understandable when you see truth exactly how that came about. Uh, Truth (laughs) is to Spotlight what Freeheld was to Carol in terms of this year's Oscar crop. Which is to say, there are some overlapping sort of conceptual themes, but really give it to the give it to the rougher around the edges one. Give it to the, the, the better made yet rougher around the edges material. And what you have here is a film that is basically spotlight smothered in Vaseline. Or a two-part episode, a mid-season episode of The Newsroom, smothered in Vaseline, if you will. Either way, the soft-focus filter has been applied very thoroughly here. And you have great performances in there. Really great performances. It's like, a very good cast. Very, very, very good. Cast as well. I mean, you've got, you've got Robert Redford, 
what's not to love there? Yeah. You've got Kate Blanchett, who's always amazing. You've got um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Dennis Quaid is in there. But this is what I was going to get to because there is an on-screen reunion. There is an on-screen in Good Company reunion in which Dennis Quaid and Topher Grace are finally reunited as one. That's what you've been waiting for. That's people. what I do. I have been waiting twelve years for the No Good Company reunion. Now, if they just get ScarJo in there, we can call this a party. Anyway, <laughs> the problem with the film is, frankly, it doesn't have anywhere near the consistency or depth that it really needs. It tries to go for the detail-oriented elements that Spotlight made work so well. However, it just doesn't quite work. For one thing, its tone and its attitude is somewhat inconsistent. And when you've got Kate Winslet as its cent- as the central figure, you know she isn't the problem. Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett, sorry. Too many Kates in the world. Too many Kates. Damn you, Kate Hudson. Anyway. <laughs> no one no one's ever giving an Oscar to Kate Hudson, surely. She was nominated. She she was, wasn't uh, she? for Almost Famous. Yeah, she yeah. was. Very good performance. Yeah, uh, I, I particularly like her fine work on the pants poster. Yeah. But that that's all that's movie that movie's just known. That's, the pants that's it. That movie is yeah. known for having a chick in pants on the cover. That's it. Anyway. <laughs> back to the point. I am a golden guard. Anyway. <laughs> I'll put that in there. Yeah. Um so what you've got is a film that wants to tell its story from one specific point of view, but then wavers in its stance two-thirds of the way through. So with a film like this, you would imagine the idea is, hey, they had the story, they were duped. Fine. Okay, you know what? And the film goes along those lines, that they are the victims, the reporters are the victims. However, it then wavers where every now and again, almost as an offhand thing, it includes... Did you just drop your phone? I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine. I've ruined everything. It's fine. You've ruined life. <laughs> Um, it then wavers, where it seemingly offhandedly suggests that, actually, no, there's something a bit more devious than that. And you think, where's that coming from? What? what?" And ultimately, it doesn't quite come together. It does feel like a sort of poor man's spotlight, yet boasts this epic Robert Redford performance (laughs) at the centre, and yet another almost mechanically great Cumberbatchian-quality performance from Kate Blanchett. And that's the thing now, because as Nigel Andrews from Financial Times pointed out to me the other day, I'm a bit bored of Kate Blanchett now. I said, really? What being amazing. <laughs> that, that, that's what he said. He says, I feel like I just show up every few weeks. She shows up. She does something great. It's not really that memorable outside of it being great. And then you go away and come back in a fortnight. You know what? Fair enough. I'm going to go with that. that kind of sums it up. <laughs> she's so good, she's boring. Like in that, Cinderella. That, yeah. Like, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. She's great in Cinderella. But also, how the hell did that not win the Oscar for Best Costume Design? Because uh, Mad Max. And because Jan- and Mad Jenny Max. Yeah. Well, I think that kind of brings it to a wrap for a week, yeah. really, doesn't it? So we need to pick a film of the week. So I am going to go with... London Has Fallen. London Has Fallen. <laughs> right, okay, this is a weird one. So, London Has Fallen, that's your multiplex pick, right? If you're going to the art cinema, yeah. go and see Goodnight Mommy. If you're... In a couple, and one of you's one, one of you's the other. Go for Hail Caesar. That that this that, is unprecedented. That's it. That's that's my my films that's my week. democratic selection there, right? Okay, so, so you take your relationship for instance. I think Cassie might be more multiplex friendly than you. I would say. What really would, would you, you think? Would, would, I, I, oh, I don't know. I think you're the hipstery one out of your in your relationship. I think so. I think you'd want to go. Can I just dispel some rumors? <laughs> 
podcast. I think then. you'd want to go Goodnight Mommy. I think she'd want to go London Has Fallen, and you'd meet in the middle with Hail Caesar. I'd watch all three. And, we, and so you should, deservedly so. So that about draws it to a close yeah. for this week. Should we have a look at next week real quick? Oh, yes, please. Uh, what, what do we have? Uh, uh, Kung Fu Panda 3. We do have Kung yes. Fu Panda 3. We have 10 Cloverfield Lane next week. That as next well, week? That's yeah. next week. We have Anomalisa next week. I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we have the Divigent series, Elegant. <laughs> I know. We have The Witch next week. And, of course, the one we've all been waiting for, Fifty Shades of Black, is next week. <laughs> No. What a week. I know. It's yeah, going to be a real roller coaster next week. <laughs> so, this has been a Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I have been, as always, Case Allen. And we'll return, as always, next week. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Podcast extras time, Mr. Allen. And you know what? We, we really should do our little dissection of the Oscars. Mm. Um, who won Best Actor? I don't know. Oh, wait. Leo won an Oscar. I will. You thought that three was enough. <laughs> three is never enough. Did the road chip not teach you that? <laughs> no, he taught me nothing. <laughs> road chip taught you nothing. So, um, so uh, Brie Larson won Best Actress, didn't she? Yeah, deservedly so. Deservedly yeah. so. Great performance. There were some fantastic performances in that category, and also Jennifer Lawrence. So, Best Supporting Actor was. Oh wait, it was uh, it was Mark, it was Mark Rylance. Which do you remember when we mm. did our predictions? And I said I want him to win, but probably get a Stallone. And I said other way around. You said other way. I think I said I want Rylance to win, but it'll probably I, I've be Stallone. I've been a theory about this. The Oscars needed like, oh, we're going to give someone the career-defining Oscar for being going for it for years and years. Yeah, we'll give so it you to, think we'll give it to Leo because for like, I think this must be the first time uh, three uh, of the actor ones were people that have been nominated for their first ever Oscar. Oh, right. Yeah. I, d- I did not realise that. Yeah, Brie Larson, first time. Alicia Vikander, your lady. Yes, she won yeah. Best Supporting, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud. Call me, Alicia. Come on, <laughs> we'll t- we'll, I'll congratulate you. Call me. Anyway. <laughs> not her... Yeah, not my favourite of her performances. No, I would... Last... Like, like we said, when we did our Oscar predictions, I said it should have been Ex Machina, yeah. yeah. Um, there was, of course... Let's see what else. Oh, Best Picture? Uh, was Spotlight. Was Spotlight. Which, yeah, I'm great with. Yeah, that's fantastic. I did think, you see, again, there's been this disconnect the last few years, have you noticed, where Best Picture and Best Director seem to be two different things now? Yeah, that's happened for yeah, quite a while. It seemed yeah. to, I, mean, I noticed it when like, it was... Apart from last year, obviously. I noticed it when it was 12 Years a Slave and... what was it? Gravity. Gravity, yeah. That yeah. was the big one for me. Also, Argo had that, didn't it? Yeah, uh, Life of Pi and some... What yeah. was... I think, I think that was... It was Argo. It was Life of Pi and Argo, Argo I believe. Argo, yeah. So, we have got other news elsewhere as well. Um, we should talk about uh, oh, 10 Cloverfield Lane that we've got coming next week. Yeah. Apparently, is going to be chapter two of a planned trilogy. Mm. So, I wonder if he's going to make that one in secret. Oh, uh, oh your man, uh, John Bernthal's got a new job. Heard about this one? Uh, and I, I might I, have. I, oh, is this uh, Baby Driver? This is Baby Driver. Oh, man. We should bear in mind, of course, we are now within about a fortnight of the of seeing him as the Punisher for the first time in wait. Netflix's Daredevil, Netflix yeah. slash Marvel's Daredevil series too. And yeah, yeah I can't wait. Because uh, 2016 is a year when all superheroes fight all other superheroes. It, apparently, it? Yeah. apparently it is. Even on the animated series I discovered last week. Really? Yes. <laughs> 
Apparently, Avengers Assemble comes back this weekend, and it's going to do the Civil War storyline. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, yes, John Bernthal has joined uh, Baby Driver to be directed by Edgar Wright. Mm. So, that looks uh, really good. Yeah, I don't know about that one. <laughs> what, you, you don't yeah. think a film with uh, Kevin Spacey and Jane Fox and John Hamm? And... Can I just remind you of the cast for Scott Pilgrim vs. The World? And just, I will just remind you that's a really good film. <laughs> of course I'm going to like that film. <laughs> of course you are, because you're a hipster, books, man. And I love those books. Go and put your flannel shirt back on, Take that. give that hoodie a rest. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so uh, Lee Toland Krieger, which might be my favourite name ever, because he sounds like the, the scientist in Archer. Say it again. Lee Toland Krieger. Great name. He is the director of Age of Adeline. I'll have you know. Oh, he's got a new job. He's got a new job. He's going to be the director of the final, the final Divergent movie. Divergent. What's that one Accident. called? Accident. 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 <laughs> <laughs> the Divergent series, Ascendant, the finale. And this it's, is it's teach people new words. It, it is. Good. It yeah. is. We, we've got to be somewhat divergent on the matter. So, uh, <laughs> uh, the very, very brief Miss Universe, <laughs> the former Miss Columbia, Ar- Ariad- Ariadna Gutierrez. You know the one who. Well, well done. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you, I thought you told me good. Okay, never mind. No, I'm um, saying well done to you for your pronunciation. Thank you. Uh, you know who briefly was no, uh, was announced as Miss Universe by oh, Steve Harvey? That, yeah. yeah. She's got a new job too. She's the love interest in Triple X, the, fall, the return of Xander Cage. Not the fall of Xander Cage, that was the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, the return of Xander Cage. So, yeah, a lot of chicks in this yeah. movie. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Every week, there's like a new woman cast in Triple X Cubed, I think it was originally called. Uh, let's see then. Uh, Paul Taylor, who's apparently a classically trained actor, I don't really know him, um, is going to replace Doug Bradley as the new Pinhead in Hellraiser Judgment. Really? They have replaced Pinhead. Wow. He stuck with them through 19 direct-to-DVD sequels, <laughs> yeah. and this is the, re- this is the response he gets. I'm not standing for it. I won't stand for it. No, no. That's, that's unacceptable. Well, sit down for it. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård will not be coming back for Thor Ragnarok. That's interesting. Yeah, I thought you would have been. Well, it is yeah. taking place mostly off-world, so oh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, I wonder if that's the thing. Is when when I heard this news, I suddenly realised something. Has anybody actually heard confirmation that Natalie Portman's in this? Not yet, because I think we've all just assumed Natalie Portman is in Thor Ragnarok. I think she, probably, mm. she would have been signed up to some kind of multi-picture deal, like we all are. There was the whole thing when they did Dark World, remember? When she wanted to quit because they sacked the fe- they got rid of the female director, Patty Jenkins. Oh, uh, yeah. So yeah. Things- is, is Patty Jenkins doing Wonder Woman? Patty now? Jenkins is doing Wonder Woman now, yeah. yes. That's cool. Because that's DC's mantra, is that if you have a film about a woman, it must be directed by a woman. Because dot, dot, dot. Catherine yeah. Anyway, uh, right, my favourite one of the week, Alex Proyas, director of Gods of Egypt, which opened in the US this past week to some of the worst reviews you've ever seen in your life. Well, he's now taken to Facebook to decry film critics. Well, hmm... I, I question the validity of some of the things he said, given yeah, that... I saw this. Yeah. I think, was it Mark Kermode who famously said, if film critics' opinions could actually influence the success of a movie, Michael Bay and Adam Sandler would be working in Starbucks. I think it was. I think, I think, I think that was I think that was, that yeah. was Mark Kermode. And I agree with him wholeheartedly. It doesn't matter. This is how critics can have different opinions. 
ultimately, we're entertainment. We're not really much in the way of a valuable resource. We do not determine the shifting economics of the film yeah. industry. We're not, we're not telling you where to go. We can just simply advise. We can advise. I mean, let's be honest. Most film critics, most broadsheet critics, most snobby critics this week are going to be telling you that London has fallen as a cinematic war crime. And yet I will be there on Friday at 5pm with yeah. a giant Coke yeah, and we'll popcorn be. the size of my face. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be there acting like a frat boy. I'm gonna have my my sideways baseball cap, my yeah. baggy pants. I'm, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna have like one of those big foam fingers. Yeah, big foam finger. Gerard, Gerard you're number one. <laughs> Olympus was number one actually in the case of this one, and then another one that's two fingers. <laughs> it's London is number two. <laughs> But I'm going to be there, six-pack in hand, half-eaten pizza, and I'm going to see my London's phone, because you know what? I don't care about the whole snobbery thing. We're entertainment. We are not an economic resource. So, you know what, Alex Proyas? Grow up. That's what I'm going to say. Grow up. Ooh. You cast a Scotsman to play an ancient Egyptian, and then you're going to tell me I don't know how to do my job? I love the irony that we're saying, we, we go watch these kind of films all the time, and we're talking about the same Scotsman. <laughs> no, we really <laughs> in both films. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but you know, hey, I don't, I, I don't know if you heard. By the way, um, Leo won an Oscar. No way. <laughs> totally. Anyway, <laughs> that's, you, it. That's, that's it. That's last it. Last one. one. Last one. Have you heard about Training Day? Because we've been talking about Antoine Fuqua. Uh, yeah, they've got themselves uh, a brand new Denzel. They've got themselves a new. And is it me or is this amazing casting? I love it. Bill Paxton is the new Denzel yeah. for the sequel series to Train Day, which is going to be something like Limitless is to that film series. You can totally do that character. Yeah, you totally can. Yeah. But Bill Paxton, wow! So they've done like a bit of like a race swap, haven't they? They have done a race swap because you know how the, the black guy is the is the junior officer this time, yeah. and I think part of me thinks that's what kind of made the magic of Training Day mm. work so well in a strange way. But uh, uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, television series, not really television. Have you heard about Amazon's new TV show? Which one is this? Because it seems to have a different one every week. It, I'll give you a hint. It stars a huge 80s star. Don't think it has. Okay. No. The series is called Jean-Claude Van Johnson. And it stars Jean-Claude Van Damme as a failed movie star, Jean-Claude Van Johnson, who returns to the big leagues attempting to make a comeback with an action movie take on Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> As he yes. as he subsequently takes up uh, you know takes up uh, his his old position mm. as an international espionage agent and reconnects with the lost love of his life, we're not making this up. That this sounds is like an actual five, five thing. different shows just steamrolled together. I'm I'm amazed by. I'm going to watch it. And the comedy of that makes the news that Chris White, the director of About a Boy, is going to direct a movie about Adolf Eichmann. Somewhat stranger, I must admit. Um, oh, Ready Player One, we've got that movie coming? Yeah, that has a lead. That, it that's it got does. A lead. Yeah. Is it Ty Sheridan? It is Ty, Ty Sheridan. Ty Sheridan's Steven Spielberg's next that, film. That is a good cast It so could far. be, couldn't it? Olivia um, Cook. Olivia Cook. Ben Mendelsohn. That was the one, the yeah, Ben Mendelsohn. I'm so excited for that. And last but certainly by no means least, this has been rumoured for a while, it's now officially confirmed. Right. Sarah Michelle Gellar. What did you think I was going to talk about? <laughs> Much bigger news. Oh, okay, fine. But I'm, do yours, do yours. Can I do mine? Because do yours. Mine, Sorry. Mine's, I guarantee you, mine's sexier. Oh, um, I don't know. <laughs> mine's don't sexier, know. man. Sarah Michelle Gellar is going to return as the character of Catherine Murtoil for the TV series continuation of Cruel Intentions. Now, can we that please, good, please get Selma Blair back? 
I know you I can't get you can't get Ryan Felipe for obvious reasons. I saw him in something the other day. American Crime Story. American Just... Crime Story. Is he in that? No, we're talking about Sel- Selma Blair. Oh, Selma Blair. Selma Blair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. <laughs> she was going to say playing Chris Jenner, then you would have really lost she's, your mind. She's Chris Jenner because it's the first time I've ever fancied Chris Jenner. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so go on. Can I have your notably less sexy news then? I don't know. Is Idris Elba and Mosh McConaughey not sexy? Are they not not sexy? Okay, I think I just filled the cup. Never mind. That's two straight dudes. Those <laughs> some sexy men. So two straight dudes. Those <laughs> yeah. are some sexy okay, men. Okay, so they've been casting lead roles of uh, uh, the Dark Tower. Yes, I heard. Finally, I heard this from Stephen King on Twitter of all people. Yeah, <laughs> but he announced uh, himself. Uh, was it yesterday or the day before? But that's that's pretty big news. That is pretty big news. That again, that has been rumored for a while. Those two as well, actually, have yeah. been rumored in that role for a while. But, sexy uh, news. Sexy, sexy news. news is done. I, I don't think uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar is quite on the same sexy level as Idris Elba and no. uh, Matthew McConaughey, but uh, it, it works for me. Although, you know, hot news, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Cruel Intentions, rock on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> on which note, here it is, your moment of cage. What's that? It's my lucky crack bag. You don't have a lucky crack bag? 